been, uh, we just celebrated in March our 44th anniversary and he forgot, but I, <laughs> but I forgot as well. Um, so the event we attended, uh, God, re God doesn't forget. Um, somebody felt compelled to buy me flowers. He didn't know why, compelled to do it, didn't know the occasion. So God always remembers. And we have two girls. Uh, uh, one is, uh, they're both married. Uh, one is in America, which is very sad, uh, in Dallas with uh, my 12 year old grandson. The other one, which we are pressuring to have children, they got married a few years ago. In, um, they're in Sydney. All right. All right. Yeah, so, um, hey, Priska and Chara, if you're watching this, more children. Okay. Um, so, Uncle Roland, I'm going to ask you um, guys two questions. What was it like planting the church in the early days? Give us a little bit of a snapshot. Well, as with any venture or um, business even, um, when you're starting up, it's always challenging. You know, there's a lot of things that you have to establish. But I think the important thing is to hear from God the template that you need to establish the foundation for the church. And when you do anything for God, there's always opposition, just like Nehemiah, who wanted to rebuild the temple, the, the walls, a lot of opposition. And, um, you know, I didn't realize that starting a church is so tough. And many a times I wanted to quit, but uh, I'm glad I persevered to the end. And, you know, we see the fruit of it today and, and lives change and transform, but there's a price to pay. And I liken it to the time when we were in my brother-in-law's farm in England. My brother-in-law's a vet and he owns a farm. And, uh, and then next to him, there is this paddock with uh, lots of sheep. And we were wandering in that farm one day on, on our holidays. And we saw one sheep that was full of wool but overturned and so heavy that it couldn't get itself up again. And it would have died if nobody went to rescue it, to turn it around. So, like a hero, I went to, uh, to turn it around. But it was so heavy and difficult. But finally, I, I managed to turn it upright. Oh, we... No. Okay. This is it, you see. It's... I got to tell it like it is. So anyway, in turning around, the, the sheep kicked my, my hand and, and created a, a deep gash. And until today, there's a scar here, you know. And surprisingly and, and really astonishingly, this uh, ram that was head of the sheep came out of the flock to thank us by nodding its head and, and uh, like bowing to us and, and thanking us. And then he went back into the flock after the sheep was turned around. And, and it just uh, reminds me of like starting the church. Like, you know, you, you get a lot of scars, <laughs> battle scars from doing the, the Lord's work. But at the end of it, it's worth it. You, you save lives. You see lives transform. And... Really, at the end of the day, you know, we, we don't look for thanks, but 
God is the one who, who rewards us. Yeah. That's right. I'm, I'm so glad you actually shared that story. I grew up, I grew up in this church uh, under the, the two of you, and uh, what most people don't know is how much went on behind the scenes and how much sacrifice and, 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 and sowing you guys put into this church to get us here um, today. So I, I really want to thank you. I remember when I was growing up, I would see Pastor Roland after everyone leaves, he'd be like sweeping the floor, right? The two of them would be so tired from the services and still, and still serving. Um, you know, when I first started working with Pastor Roland even, uh, I was really messy. This is my pre-Marie Kondo days, you know. Um, but my room used to be so messy. And every time my boss, which is Pastor Roland, I was the kid's pastor, would come in to talk to me about something of the ministry, he would be cleaning my room because he can't stand the mess of the room. He'd be cleaning my room while we're having the meeting. So every meeting, my room would be cleaner for it. Uh, amazing, amazing. Um, Auntie, do you can want to share I, can, anything? Yeah, yeah, I just want to give, uh, share a prophetic word to um, everyone um, through our experiences. Planting the churches, I reckon, is like uh, swimming against the tide, and you, the challenges uh, is against the tide. Uh, even though it may be difficult, um, but you get stronger and uh, stronger. So um, the word that the Lord gave me this morning is that some of you are facing challenges and so on. Don't give up. Because as you go through it with the Lord, you will come out stronger. So like Jesus said, for the joy set before me, I endured the cross. So um, not only you will impact your own life to see the results, but you will impact many others being a trailblazer. And uh, your struggles will become somebody's victory. Amen. I, I'm so glad that we're getting this chance to talk about real lives and your um, real experience. So the last question I wanted to ask is, you know, we're doing this series called Homegrown. Um, and, I, you know, obviously I've seen your lives very closely. You're my actual uncle and auntie and your children are my cousins, right? And both of them uh, are married now. They love the Lord, you know, in different cities and countries. We'll keep praying for them. But um, I've also seen how, Uncle Roland, you brought our family, my mom and all her sisters you know, to the Lord. And so yours is a heritage of really um, a household of faith, you know, uh, in the making. So I wanted to ask you, you know, sort of for your top, top tip, how did you grow? You know, obviously, you'll be speaking next week. So there'll be lots of, you know, in-depth information. But if you were to boil it down to maybe one quick thing you could say, how did you grow your faith at home with your family? What are some tips that you would give? Well, first of all, our children were homeschooled, so uh, our lifestyle was quite different. But um, being pastors' kids comes with a lot of expectations on them. And uh, looking back, I, I think we, we should have protected them more and not heap those expectations on them to be perfect and, and so on. But one of the uh, things that... Um, I, I think we did good was we, we did uh, devotions with them every day. Probably <laughs> a little bit too intense and too much. We, we did Bible study with them <laughs> every day for an hour uh, without fail. And, and we would exegete the Bible and, and so on and get them to memorize the scriptures. 
uh, maybe a bit too much, you know. It's uh, <laughs> but, never but too much. I, no, I mean in a sense that I think we were a little bit too task oriented. I think what we did was good, really good, but I think we should f focus, use that to focus instead of the task of getting them to learn the Bible, to build relationship with God and with us in the sense of getting them to encounter God more rather than just spoon-feeding them and that uh, get them to pray and expect things from God personally more so that they will have that personal encounter with, with the Lord. Yeah. I, um, I told him most people don't teach people, teach their children every day um, uh, of the week, the Bible, but um, I think it's not so much the task. I think it's to enjoy what you're doing. It's like enjoying uh, your children now and enjoy because we were so, we were battling many battles, um, um, many battlefronts, and our children were swimming against the tide with us as well. And uh, we didn't realize that, but it's to help them to really, I, I, I mean, we have a lot of wonderful memories because um, when he was not so under so much pressure in America when he was studying, um, he, every night he would uh, tell the children they will be dying and looking forward to, uh, to this time. He will make up story, Dan and Jen, actually he should write a whole series of it. Adventures that are built in daily, uh, the children like to go to an ice cream parlor. He will build in the adventure around visiting the ice cream parlor and so on. It's got Dan and Jen. And every night they will, they, they're, they're longing to go for be, uh, to bed and uh, so that they can hear the father um, telling them the exciting story. And he, he was a children minister to start with. Uh, <laughs> so he was. Pastors, <laughs> the rock. So um, my tip to, um, through what we have been through, is that um, in Deuteronomy it says that uh, for fathers, I would really encourage fathers um, to teach your children, and mothers naturally would, but fathers, um, the mandate was given to you is for a reason, is to protect your children. And we may have been task-oriented, um, but they are very close, um, children are very close to us, and that is something um, you treasure in your old age. Make it enjoyable. <laughs> Important thing is make it enjoyable, like fungus. <laughs> Fun. Amen. Well, fantastic. Hey, I'm so glad that we uh, got this chance to do a, even just a quick interview. Next week, we've got Uncle Alan and Auntie Sally um, up. Uh, but I think what I, I got out of this um, chat, which I, I'm so glad we had a chance to look behind the scenes a little bit, is sometimes at church, especially when you're up on stage, um, there's a tendency to portray everything as easy, perfect, you know. Um, all of us go through struggles, every single person. And so what you're seeing here uh, is actually the culmination of the fruit of many, many years of them struggling with God's call on their life and the mandate to lead a household of faith. Um, I think there's one last yeah, point. Okay. Um, I... I tend to be a perfectionist. I want everything neat and tidy and perfect. And He wipes the restaurant table after eating. This, this table will get wiped <laughs> after this. So I, I tend to impose that on my family and expect our family 
our children to be perfect and all of that. And I think excellence is different from perfection. And, and perfection is more task-oriented. Excellence is more from the heart. Look at their heart and not at their work as such. And, and encourage them even more than just keep correcting, correcting, but encourage them in the Lord. Amen. That's so good. All right, let me pray for the two of you. <laughs> you, can, you can have a drink while I cheers, cheers. <laughs> the highest tea with our founding elders. All right, let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for Uncle Roland and Auntie Eve. Thank you for the gift that they are to us. And uh, thank you for... Uh, the call on their life. And I pray for them, oh God, that you would watch over them, watch over not just their physical health, but Lord, encourage their inner spirit as well. Father, I pray for their extended family and the legacy that they are leaving behind, that it would stay the course. Father, help us, Lord, to build upon, as a church, to build upon this foundation uh, that was um, set up in the earlier years that is built on Christ. Father God, I pray for the two of them even, that you would lead and guide them in their future steps and in their current steps um, as you continue to lead every single one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. Too cool. Hey, if I could have the lectern out, I'm going to uh, just roll into the message. Uh, thank you so much for coming. We are kicking off this series called Home grown. It's, um, it's a new series that we've got. We're going to go for about a month, and we're going to be looking at this fundamental question, how do we grow our faith at home? Thank you so much, Sean. Amen. Oh, Too cool. Father, I commit today's word into your hands. Um, I ask for your presence to be here. And even as I talk, let it not just be uh, my voice or my words, but um, Holy Spirit, lead and guide every part of this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want you to imagine with me, if we could just do a quick imagination exercise. Think of, think of two best friends. Two guys, known each other for the longest time, best of friends. One of them falls in love. The ring is bought and the wedding is set. I feel like we've been doing so many weddings, right? Wedding, wedding. But after the proposal, the wedding date's set, the ring's bought, everything's all prepared. The groom gets an assignment overseas, and he has to go away. He'll be back in time for the wedding, but from now till the wedding day, he's in another country. Now, he can still communicate with his bride. You know, there's email, there's WhatsApp, phone calls, but, but he can't fly back. Imagine some kind of maybe global pandemic or something. Can't fly back but he he cares 
for his bride. He's concerned that there are so many things to do and they have to get ready for their life together and for their wedding day. So he calls his best friend, his mate, his best friend for life. Hey, mate, I know, you know, I'm in this other country, but I trust you so much. Can you do me a favor? I, 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 my wife is going to get overwhelmed with all of this preparation. There's so much going on. I'm away for such a long time. Could you please help me out? And help her organize the wedding. Like, we'll, you know, we'll, we're happy to give you direction. We can, we can, you can call me up. Hey, but I, I, somebody needs because it's, it's going to be a very stressful time for her. Come on, help me, bro. Keep an eye on her and make sure she's okay. And so this best friend, he does that. He's a great friend. At first, he's an amazing friend. Takes her to look at dresses, goes out, looks at different venues, preps all oh, when she's anxious and a bit nervous about whether the husband's going to come back in time for the wedding with all of this pandemic stuff. He counsels her, comforts her. It's late at night. They're chatting. They're texting. It's okay. You know, like, it's going to be a great wedding. You are such a wonderful woman. You know, you deserve the very best. And over time, as this best friend who's helping out his mate chats with his mate's wife, something happens between the friend of the groom and the bride. The groom is mentioned less and less. And every time they interact, it's less about the groom and more and more about them and how to make things work in the life they have when the groom is away. The wedding prep drags out because, oh, it's so fun. It's so fun. We're all having such a good time. In fact, on the way to, to, to pick out dresses, you know, they stop by, eat food. Oh, there's food here, there's food there. Oh, it's so good. Until one day, that best friend realizes he's fallen in love with his mate's wife. And what is worse is that she has fallen in love with him. That she's come to trust him and rely on him. And maybe even love him more than her husband. Oh my goodness. Is that a romantic story or what? <laughs> that, and I know it's not the best analogy, and you can poke a ton of holes at it, right? It's not a biblical analogy. But I, I want to tell you this story to just sort of introduce, if I could, the love triangle, the dysfunctional love triangle. Um, it's a little bit of a broken picture of how we can do ministry or discipleship or even modern church 
where we, you know, like as pastors or, or as ministers or home group leaders, we're supposed to be helping out to point people to God, right? We're supposed to, all of us here are supposed to get each other ready for the love of our lives, Jesus Christ. Yet, somewhere along the line, maybe we're just more interested in church, in ministry, in doing fancy things together, eating food. Somewhere along the line, that love gets misplaced. It can also happen in the home. It can also happen in our families. We are supposed to be as parents, caretakers of our children and our our husbands, wives. We're supposed to caretake each other to point to God. Actually, family is not the be-all and end-all of a Christian's life. We are households of faith. In fact, the anchor verse for our whole church is, as for me and my house, we will make sure we're okay. It's not. It's as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Because there needs to be a continual reminder for us that we are like the best mate, not the actual groom that is coming for his bride. But as you can imagine, with that story, as with sometimes our lives, it is possible for us to get sidetracked along the way. So I want to, as we do this, you know, like I, if you are a discipler, if you're a disciple maker, maybe you're a mother, father, leader, friend, mentor, I want you to think about as we go through today's sermon, I want you to think, you're that friend. You're that best friend. God has entrusted your wife to you, your husband to you, entrusted your children to you. You're that friend. If you're a home group leader, if you're the worship leader, if you head up a ministry, if you, if it's like me, I pastor the church, I'm that friend. The whole point of this church is not to make it so that you guys fall in love with me. Oh my goodness. Just talk to my wife. It's not a great prospect. <laughs> I'm that friend. And so as the pastor of this church, it's partly my responsibility to make sure your homegrown faith, your actual walk with God is good to get you prepped up for wedding day. Right? But similarly, that's all of us in our homes. So I want us to think about this. You know, Galatians, I love, we're doing the book of Galatians this year. I love how Paul, he gets right to the point when he opens up the book of Galatians. He's really irritated at the church, by the way. You know why? They got sidetracked. They've gotten sidetracked. They've forgotten Jesus. They're all about their laws and their rituals and the things of church. And read, read what he says. It's the beginning of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, 6-7. Oh my goodness, he just does his cursory greeting, only five verses for the cursory greeting, and he gets right into it. I'm astonished, shocked, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. You've forgotten the husband. 
in the grace of Christ and you are turning to a different gospel. Not, not that there is another one. That means there is not meant to be another one. There's only one. But there are some of you, there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And then it goes on to talk about religiousness and, and, and law and various other things and things of the flesh and not of the spirit. And we'll cover that when we study Galatians this year. But I want to highlight to you, as shocking as my story is, this beginning passage in Galatians is also shocking. We have to stop and at some point be a little bit arrested by how harsh this is. That every single one of us has this potential to be doing the motions of church and of church life and of household of faith life. And actually, we've switched place. With the groom. So, for this series today, starting it and going forward, we're looking at this question How do you grow your faith at home? How do you grow? It's not because church is not important. It's not like, oh, it's not like you don't, not now you know, you're going to grow your faith at home. Like, don't come to church. You don't need to do any Bible study. You don't need to go for prayer meetings. None of those things. But let me just say, church will never replace. Christian education class will never replace, home group will never replace your personal walk with God. Your home life, even if you just live at home, you're the only Christian at home, in your own room, whatever, yeah? We all have to grow our own faith. And that's what we're looking at. And so that's why I began the way I began, because we must not get sidetracked. I'm here as the friend of the groom, as the pastor of the church. And my job is not to fall in love with you. Oh, my goodness. It's not. It is to point you to the groom, which means how much of God is in your life? How in love are you? With him, How is that relationship going? I understand that the relationship with church is broadly going well. We're doing well as a church. I get it. We're good. But that does not guarantee you're good with God. All right. So um, I thought since it's the first of the series and it's got a ve- we've got a very exciting series coming up. I wanted to introduce a framework that I thought would be very helpful um, for us as we process how do we get build genuine faith at home to make sure that we've got this thing. I, I like frameworks. They help me to organize life. Uncle Roland uh, knows that. And every one of our speakers, we've got Jerusha speaking, we've got Pastor Roland speaking, uh, will we'll bring out different elements um, of it. But I, I, like, I like frameworks because it helps me then to figure out as well in which situations, what can I, what can I do? Because it's just too many details, details, details. I can't keep details in my head. So um, I'm going to introduce a, a framework. But before I get to the framework, um, I just want to begin with this quote. I, uh, I, if you have never read Russian drama... Oh my goodness, you're missing out. It's better than Korean drama. Uh, a few years ago, I finished um, War and Peace, and uh, maybe a few years before that, read Anna Karenina. 
Um, but Tolstoy is one of these great writers, not, not, not for his theology or anything, uh, although there are some sort of Christian elements in part of what he says, but because he is a very acute studier, acute observer of um, life and relationships. So if you, if you read War and Peace um, or even Anna Karenina, it, the way the families interact, the way he unpacks even um, some of the bigger questions of life, it's, it's almost like a reading a philosophical piece as you read it. I highly recommend it. Okay, anyway, the book, Anna Karenina, begins with this sentence. It's the beginning hypothesis. It's the beginning proposition for the whole book. All happy families are alike, but each unhappy family is unhappy in its own unique way. Kind of almost to say that within happy families, there's a common set. But within dysfunctional ones, there are, oh my goodness, a hundred thousand different kinds of dysfunctions available. Uh, and that's why I find that having a framework, if, if I was to address an audience like this, if we just have just one formula, if we just say one thing, it might actually be really hard for us to implement at home. So I'm going to try and introduce a framework. It's, I, it's a big picture framework, but we're going to unpack it, I guess, all through the year, but definitely during this series. Um, I'll come up with new words for it, actually, um, but it's a very old concept. Okay, I want to introduce a framework called health and fitness. Health and fitness. There is a difference between health and fitness. All right, I'll just quickly explain it because it's the metaphor I'm going to use just for the rest of the sermon. Say, I want to run a marathon. Me, right? I want to run a marathon. Marathons are really long. They're long, right? Like 50 kilometers? No. Longer? 42 kilometers, miles, kilometers. Anyway, very long because I'm out of breath when I walk with my wife two kilometers every day, okay? So clearly, I can't run a marathon. If I wanted to run a marathon, I actually can't. I've got to train, right? You've got to train. If, you, if everybody here wanted to run a marathon, you'd have to train. But what if your leg was broken? What if your leg was broken? Then you wouldn't do the normal things that a person would do to train for a marathon. If your leg was broken, you would first heal up your leg before you would begin your fitness regime to run the marathon, right? So you'd address your health first, and then you would train your fitness. But the, the weird thing is that the things you would do if you are unhealthy, the thing that you would do if your leg is broken is actually the opposite of what you would do if your leg was functional and you were training for a marathon. You would be seeing a doctor, you'd be putting a, you know, you'd be putting a, um, I don't know, some kind of um, boot on your foot or whatever it is to restrict its movement to make sure you can't move your foot instead of moving it often to build the muscles you'll try to make sure it doesn't move and then you'll lie in bed all day or whatever it's careful where you place your foot the opposite things of what you would do if you were running a marathon and you would say to a person with a broken leg don't go running don't 
go running. But if you were healthy as I am, very healthy, I imagine, hopefully, my doctor is in the audience, so it's okay. Um, I still cannot run the marathon. I'm healthy, but I can't run the marathon. Why? I am unfit. I'm unfit. So if you're healthy, you've got two functioning legs, you, you know, like you're broadly okay. Maybe what you need to do is the opposite of the guy who's lying in bed with the crutches. What you need to do is you need to get out there, even if it's raining, and start clocking in some Ks. Start running. You gotta watch what you eat, right? You gotta be a bit disciplined with it. You gotta go that distance, right? But what I find is, which is why I wanna talk about this, is in our families, if we could just be real for a moment, right? Like in our homes, sometimes a wrong diagnosis has led many families to doing things that actually become very detrimental to genuine faith. That means in your, your desire to be like the pastor's family or to be like your friends in the home group, you're like, yes, we got to run, we got to run, we got to train, we got to train. But in your home, someone's got a broken leg or you're dealing with issues and you haven't diagnosed correctly. You're just thinking, hey, I've joined FGA and everybody in FGA runs the marathon. We run the marathon, that's what we are. So let's serve every week. Let's serve all, let's go. My goodness, let's go. But sometimes what I've discovered as a pastor all these years is in our enthusiasm to run the one formula that fits everything, our wrong diagnosis or our lack of being honest about where we are and where our family is leads us to run our families, well-meaning Christians running their families like it's a boot camp, which would be great if everyone was healthy, which would be great if everyone was healthy. Just because other people are doing it doesn't mean you should. So anyway, I know this concept might be a little bit obscure. Some of you will get it. Some of you will take a while to so just write down health and fitness. Today, I'm going to try and make it very, very simple. I've spent a lot of time trying to make today's message as simple as I can because it's the introduction to our whole series. When I'm on in two weeks' time, it'll be a lot more complicated than this, I guarantee you. Okay, today I'm going to boil it down to one question. This is the question you need to ask. Is Jesus Christ your Lord? Is he your Lord? You need to ask this about your wife, your husband, and your children. You go, hey. And they may not answer you honestly, so you've got to like figure out, is this or is this not the case? Hey, son, daughter, is Jesus Christ your Lord? You know, uh, you've, if you've been around at FGA for a while, you've heard me say this. I actually think between 30% to 50% of FGA aren't Christian. That 30% to 50% of FGA cannot answer this question and say, Jesus Christ is the absolute master of my life. If Jesus asks me to jump, I will jump. Jesus Christ is what I order my whole life around. He is my Lord like I am a slave. I think about 30 to 50%. 
of FGA, which is fine, which is fine, because this is the environment where we're hoping to actually disciple you and mentor you. I would say that for the three years, almost the three years that Jesus had his disciples, they couldn't even answer that question. Who is Jesus? Is Jesus their Lord? So it's okay. But let's, be, let's have an honest answer about this question. Is Jesus Christ your Lord? Are you here because your wife brings you, your husband brings you, your mom has forced you, your grandparents have driven you to church, your best friends, whatever, whatever the thing is, the food is cheap, whatever, right? But let's answer this fundamental question first because this is the question of health. This is the question of health. Or if you are one of the theological guys and this is too watered down a message for you, it's a justification question. Health is a justification question. So you want to ask yourself, am I truly, truly saved? He cannot be your savior if he's not your Lord. We know, and I can explain it later, or you could go to Alpha, that we cannot do enough in our own good. We cannot even be fit enough to work our way into heaven. So, initially, we have to go, is Jesus the master of my life? Is he the master of my love life? Can you tell me to break up with somebody who's, can, is he the master of my money? my career, my hobbies? Is he, you need to answer this question honestly for yourself, but also for your family. Because otherwise, you're at risk. You're at risk of having a store-bought plastic faith. This, actually, uh, you could buy this, actually. It's for sale. I saw um is a plastic plant, which kind of looks real. Because you know why? You're looking at a picture. Hard to tell whether it's real or not from a picture because the picture itself is not real. Um, what we're trying to get to is what is genuine faith? You know, I love this quote from this book, um, Difference, by these two authors, Mike, and, uh, Mike Patz and Brian Sanders. Great read. Um, but they've got this one quote in there. It says this, too much Christianity is like a travel agent selling timeshares for a property he's never seen. Which is what I feel like every time I call like one of these travel agencies and try and book a Disney trip. You're like, you're planning Disney, but they've never been there and I've been there like 24 times and they're telling me things. I'm like, ah, you do you know. Or organ waiter pushing meatloaf that loaf that never tasted, tasted, looked good, the food smells, smells great, but the eggs are second, a second, and I, and I kid you, kid you not, as a pastor in this, but I, but I know as a pastor living in this era, or maybe even pastors before, we know this, that there are many families, the parents themselves haven't tasted authentic faith. They themselves don't go, Jesus Christ is my Lord. And they will make their whole family toe the line. Everybody, go to church. Don't make me late. Don't make me late because Pastor Roland's going to look at me. That is more important. The disapproving look that Pastor Roland will give me. Pastor Chris would just be running around doing things. He won't even. But Pastor Roland, he will look at me and I'll feel guilty. So all the children better dress up well and get to church. 
Yet when it comes to genuine faith, the children who are growing up in this home, they look and go, oh my goodness, mom and dad don't even know what genuine faith is like. And they're selling me on it. That's what happens. I grew up as a kids and a youth pastor. I kid you not, these things are the real discussions of our genuine lives. So we have to ask the, pro- the question, is Jesus Christ Lord? Because if he's not, we've got to pause now. We've got to pause now. We've got to treat the problem. Because if Jesus Christ is not your Lord, Christian education class is not going to save you. <laughs> Coming to church every Sunday is not going to save you. All the religiosity that comes along with church is not, while it's good, a pastor or a church is good, is not going to save you. So, if that is you, and you're answering, hey, Jesus Christ may not be my Lord, then you have to address the genuineness of your own faith. Deal with that first, please. Before you start discipling other people, and leading worship, and running home group, and doing all this other... Hey, hey, how's your faith going? You're running, but your foot is broken because Jesus Christ is not your Lord. Some of us have to diagnose properly. Is Jesus Christ my Lord? Similarly, you have to have that same diagnosis for your family. Is my husband saved? Is my wife saved? Are my children? If I were to ask them, and they might never answer me this, but in my best judgment, because I know my kids, I know my wife, I know my husband. Does he, she, do they love the Lord? It's okay if the answer is no. Jesus' own disciples, for the three years, their honest answer would have been no. They actually gave ridiculous answers, but it was honest. If the answer is no in your family, if it's you, you need to... Find genuine faith for yourself, right? But if it's for your family, you need to be a missionary. Your lens in your home then changes from being, hey, let's all run this marathon. Let's go, 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 go. And I need you to volunteer for kids ministry. I need you to do this. I need you to go there. You, you, you can't do that. You, your first and primary call then is to be a missionary to your home. Even if it is your own children, even if it's your own wife and husband, your goal is to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, to be an ambassador of Christ, to be a salt and light in your home before you're off making them do whatever the thing is. Your call then, if, you are in, if you've diagnosed that your family has this health issue, That means your foot is broken. That means you're not standing on Jesus Christ, the foundation of our actual faith. You're in a missionary family. We have a lot of missionary families here. We do. Some are obvious and some are less obvious. But I can point you to people who've grown up and they're the only Christian in their home. It's doable. Uncle Roland brought Christ to his whole extended family. But he correctly diagnosed that his brothers-in-laws, his sisters, they were not Christian. He correctly diagnosed it. So he didn't run off and just make them do stuff. He first introduced them to Jesus 
And after that, oh my goodness, they're all doing stuff now. They're like powerhouses. My mom and dad are like still serving at, at whatever age. But you got to get that diagnosis. I, I, I really want to help you as much as I can. you got to get that diagnosis correct. That's why Jesus tells the parable of the sower. You can, you can read that. The soil needs to be good. Yep. So maybe one of the reasons why your house is not receptive to the gospel is, not going, is because it's crowded out. It's a shallow faith is one of the soils. Or maybe the main one that actually comes across in all of the different versions of the parable of the sower, the main one that's brought out is the cares of this world. Maybe that's the thing that's crowding out God's seed in your, in your home. But you have to address first and foremost, before you start running and training for this marathon, you have to address first and foremost, is Jesus Christ Lord? And I know I'm saying very basic things. I, please, I understand this. But we are trying to deal with our real lives. That means even for me and my own family, man and I, we have these discussions. We love our kids. But we will regularly ask ourselves, hey, do you reckon their faith is real? Do you reckon Jesus Christ is their Lord? I think as parents... We've got to be prepared to ask that tough question because it's not as bad. I've got to emphasize, it's not as bad as it sounds because Jesus Christ, for the entirety of his living discipleship with his disciples, he actually answered that question. They don't know yet that I am Lord, but they will. They will. Okay? So then, let's get back to our key question. Is Jesus Christ your Lord? Because I reckon 70% or maybe 50% of the people sitting here went, oh my goodness, Pastor Chris asked me like the most beginner question of all the questions. I thought this was going to be an epic series, life-changing of course Jesus is my Lord. You don't know how many years I've been a Christian. You don't know how many things I've done for the Lord. You, I love God. And there are, I think, maybe 70% of the people sitting here listening to this. Jesus Christ is your Lord. That's one of the reasons why I love this church. Because we're less about the pretending and more about our real life. So I actually think there's a large portion of people and you're like, Jesus Christ is is my Lord. He's the most wonderful thing that's ever happened. I'm the bride, and he's the bridegroom. So what do you do then? Ha-ha. Then we get to fitness. Then we get to fitness. All right? So, and maybe that's your family. Because you could even have a childlike faith. Your children could be growing up at home and maybe they cannot explain all the complicated theological concepts around the Bible. They cannot quote, you know, Psalms and everything, right? But you know, even at their young age, with their childlike faith, they love the Lord. They trust God. For even the, listen, they, they trust God. 
And sure, as every Asian parent knows, there are character flaws, right? There are issues. You wish they were a little bit more Christ-like. You wish they were right. But, and that's a sanctification issue. So just in case, just I know because there's some theological guys sitting here. You're thinking, oh my goodness, what is Pastor Chris talking about? Fitness is broadly sanctification. Broadly. It's the theological term called sanctification. Where the Holy Spirit leads us to be more and more like Christ. But the thing is, you cannot be more and more like Christ if Jesus Christ is not your Lord. Like, that's why theologians have always split justification from sanctification. Because all the sanctification things, like you know, having love, joy, peace, gentleness, all the things of, of the fruit of the Spirit, all those things, they're not going to save you. You could be the most self-controlled, gentle person with joy. Without Jesus, it's not going to work. So that's the justification question I, I, I covered with health. But now we're in the fitness section of this sermon. And if I asked you this question, is Jesus, Christ is, is Jesus Christ your Lord? And on your piece of paper, in the beginning of the sermon, you might be regretting it now, but in the beginning of your sermon, if you wrote down, yes, he's my Lord. If you wrote that down, if you think Jesus Christ is your Lord, Welcome to the fitness section. This is where you live, right? You live in the section that needs to get fit. Which means you can't be a Christian for 10 years, 20 years, and you still don't know your Bible. Oh, no, 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 I can't pray. Oh, I can't pray. You love the Lord, you've been saved, He's your master. You've been on this track for 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, whatever the thing is, right? Oh my goodness. You don't need to be lying in bed with your foot up and a cast on it. Because you're healthy. You're the healthy part of the body of Christ. We got to get going. We got to get going. And you have to get your family fit. That means... That if you're pastoring your family, that means you're, we're now talking about homegrown faith, your genuine faith at home. That means you're looking at your children and they're like, okay, maybe they're not the best behaved kids in the world. Maybe they don't know everything about the Bible. But hey, they actually love God. Hey, at their level, they would say, Jesus Christ is my Lord. I don't know yet, but yeah, I trust. When, when I have the greatest worries of life, I turn to God. If that's the case in your family, and it might be different for each of your kids, it might be different for your husband and your wife, but if that's the case, you need to then say, all right, guys, let's do some exercise. <laughs> hey, everybody, let's read the Bible. Hey, why don't you exercise self-control? Hey, why don't we be more patient? Hey, why don't we pray together? Hey, you know what? Let's just tell each other testimonies and let's spur each other. Let's be iron sharpens iron and I'm like cutting you now. I know it's hurting, but I love you, son. It's iron sharpens iron, whatever the thing is. That's what we need to be doing because our role, like part of this is like, for our church, one of the reasons why we even 
do our services, the length that we do it, right? And we um, have the fellowship after. Why we orchestrate our church the way it is done is actually to make you fit, to build resilience in you so that your Sunday is not shorter and shorter and shorter and tighter and tighter and you can't tolerate a little bit of um, things going wrong here and there. We actually want to get you fit. We actually want to build up resilient soldiers for the kingdom of God who can do battle and not get tired the first three steps they take. That's in view. You know, one of the things that, that you know, and, and our, our leadership has spent a lot of time on this. The whole theme of this year is genuine faith at home, right? Um, one of the things that can happen, just like that story of the, the bridegroom and his best friend with the love triangle, one of the things that can happen is if we get used to a diet of great Sunday messages and amazing praise and worship with the lights and the kids' ministry is so entertaining, is that when it comes time to actually do that faith at home, it seems a bit pathetic. It seems a little bit like, oh, you know, as cool as Jordan, you know. <laughs> but the opposite is actually true. That the genuine faith at home is the one that matters more to God than whatever these appearances are. All of these things here are actually, we're the, we're the best friend. We're the mate. Our job is the mate. To point you to Jesus. I'll tell you right now, we're not the end goal. The end goal of FGA is not to get more people to sit down here. We could have easily done that. We're trying to make genuine disciples. We're trying to genuinely point you to God. That means your life, your home, your family, where you are right now. Because I grew up, I grew up in this church. We we're, I know what that's like. That's, that's how you ended up with a senior pastor who likes Disney and plays computer games. That's how you ended up with that. Because I grew up feeling safe enough to just be myself and build a genuine faith that would last when it came time for me to run my own family and for me to live the life that God has for me. Instead of trying to curate some kind of senior pastor or some kind of leader that, oh my goodness, like looks right, does all the right things, hits all the, like, like some plastic plant somewhere. God is wanting a genuine faith in your life and in your home. And so if you answer genuinely that question, is Jesus Christ your Lord and you yourself can't answer that yes, it's fine. But you need to rethink your Christianity. You need to re-engage with God first before you're going off running marathons and especially before you go and make your whole family go and do things that you yourself are not even convinced of yourself. Because nothing turns away children more than hypocrisy. And I'm worried that today's modern church mechanism 
makes it easy for us to move towards that hypocrisy. In fact, it's been that way for the longest time. That's why Jesus, when he came, he scolded all the Pharisees. He scolded all, because while they were going through the right motions, they didn't have genuine faith. They didn't trust God. They trusted their system. So that's the health issue, right? And then there's the fitness issue where we need to grow our faith. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at how do we grow our faith. But as we delve into the many, many things that will hopefully enrich your Christian life, I wanted to begin this series. I wanted to start, if I could, by introducing uh, maybe a framework for you to, as husband and wife or as an individual growing up in our church to just think about, am I right now dealing with a health issue or a fitness issue? I knew with a health issue or a fitness issue. Because if my family's not saved, then, then we have to, husband and wife, we have to be like missionaries. Why don't I go talk to some of our missionaries that are around, that have come back? How do they conduct themselves in a land that doesn't love Christ? Right? Or does everybody, are we all on the same page? Brilliant. We're, we love God. Maybe they're just baby Christians. Maybe they need to grow. But we need to start exercising. Even if, like my wife says to me, even if we're just walking one block a day, just, just get started. Just get started. And so that's why we've got things like Christian education, right? Because we are wanting you to, I'm so glad that so many people have signed in for Alpha. They've gone in for the, um, the WTCI um, wholeness class. We've got Last year with Pastor Roland's church history, my mom's various classes, like, that's good for you. If you are a Christian, you need to be growing. Yep. I'm glad that we've got the marriage seminar coming on the 8th of May, right? It's over here, Cedric and Chris are running that, right? Great. You know why? Because if you're pretty certain you're married, if you're certain you're married, yep, See, there's no question about whether your marriage is broken or not broken. You're actually married. Then you need to be fit. So then go for a class and train up. Right? Um, similarly, man and I, we're running a Song of Solomon book study. We uh, have been counseling actually a lot of young families um, and young couples over the last couple of months. And there's been a recurring theme. It turns out that at FGA, in terms of fitness, we haven't spoken much about dating, engagement, and early married life. We have, haven't a lot of talking. In fact, um, we never really do in-depth training about sex. So we thought, hey, let's pick and you would not believe how much debate has gone on to land on these exact words that I'm going to say. But we thought we would pick the sexiest book of the Bible and unpack it. The theme for, um, it's, so it's just on Zoom, it's on Wednesday nights, I'm hoping, you know, four sessions. Uh, but May and I will be going through the, uh, the book. It's actually the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. 
uh, and we'll be going through that. And the main thing we'll be looking at is actually relational intimacy. Relational intimacy. Now, if you're in a relationship, then this is the fitness part of it. If you're imagining, so let's say you're single, you're imagining that you're going to get married one day. You, you imagine that you, as with me in my house, you, know, you imagine that, hey, one day, it's fine if God has called you to celibacy. That's, that's very legitimate. That's fine. But if you are prepping, right, you're, you're dating somebody, you're like, hey, I'm going to have a life with somebody, it is worthwhile, just as you would prep for a marathon, to jump into a class to see what do people do when they're preparing for a marathon? Just in case, because you know what? I'm thinking of signing up for a marathon. And marriage is like a marathon. It goes for very, very long. Very long. So long that you forget your anniversary. And then it still keeps going. <laughs> right? And so we thought, hey, in the early years, let's talk about it. Relational intimacy. It's kind of aimed at, and all ages can come, so it's fine. It's on Zoom anyway. You're just going to be, right? Um, but it's aimed at if you are um, dating, you're engaged, or maybe you just recently got married. You're trying to work out what does relational intimacy look like in your life. The reason why we're keen on the younger ages is that's when I, uh, I can be more certain that they genuinely, genuinely like want a relationship and they really, really love each other. The problem is when we get a lot older and we've done a lot of pastoral counseling, we get a lot later, there's a bunch of broken marriages that come. So then by the time we're talking about stuff, right? Like, hey, like my beloved is mine and I am his and we need to grow to trust each other. Yeah. The problem is that they can't trust each other because it's so broken. Yep. Actually, what you need is a little bit of boundaries <laughs> and a little bit of, you know, self-control to heal up your marriage. Then you can come a bit closer. So it's like the, the opposite thing. And so, and, and I, that's what I'm hoping, like, the marriage seminar will, like, will hit, right? Some of the things that might go wrong maybe in the longer term of marriage. But this session on Song of Solomon, it's like, hey, hey, hey. You know, just like a, the, the Tolstoy quote, you know, happy families are alike, but every unhappy family is diff unhappy in its own different way. In this session, we're not going to unpack every single way a marriage could go wrong or whatever issues you've had. We're going to try to begin with as clean a slate as we can and go, what does God have in mind when he talks about said, when he talks about the kind of faithful, committing, committed, loving kindness, love that's covenantal. What, what is meant by that? And sure, you know, it has to be practical as well, right? So it's not just going to be some random, just, just theory and just me reading through the Bible. That's why 45 minutes we'll be teaching and then 45 minutes will just be Q&A and then we'll just talk about some real practical things. But... Um, it's good. Oh, okay. It's gonna be sexy. <laughs> There's all these other words I could not use. You would not believe it. You can come see me afterwards. <laughs> but there is no other honest way to describe the book of um, Song of Solomon, um, really. Okay. So 
That's it. I'm going to end today's sermon uh, with a quote from G.K. Chesterton, um, great theologian, great um, speaker. And, and I love what he says about this. There are two ways to come home. There are two ways to come home. The goal is that our home is with Christ. The, the bridegroom is calling us home. But there are two ways to come home. One of them is to stay. Embedded in this quote, which is why I like this quote actually, is the health and fitness framework. Because if you've gone away from home, if you've left the Lord, if Jesus Christ is not your Lord and you're a little bit of a prodigal and you're on your own journey and you're trying to find your way in the world, that's fine. Because God is calling you home. He wants you back. Not to do things, not to do the mechanics of church and religion, but because He loves you. He wants to relate with you. He so loves you that He gave His only Son. We just celebrated Easter. There's one way to come home, and that's to come back. God wants you back. But there's also another way to be home, and that's to stay. That's to stay. Some of you, your faith has never been questioned. I know, I know some of you. I've grown up with half of you. Like, your faith is unshakable. Even if it's raining, you're going to be at church. All those other guys, ha, 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 ha. You know, it's raining, and you've stayed at home. You need to get more fit. That's what you need to do, right? But there, there are some of you, like, one of the ways to be home is to stay at home and grow. Homegrown faith. And so I'm going to close with a private altar call, if I could. If everyone's eyes are closed right now. The answer is going to be different for each person. Because for some of you, for some of you, when I ask the question, is Jesus Christ your Lord? I want you to consider, would you be honest enough to say, Jesus is not my Lord, but I want Him to be. I want to find out. I want to seek after Jesus. The Bible says, you know, seek and you'll find. Knock and he'll answer. So that's the first altar call. Is, is, is your faith genuine? Is Jesus Christ your Lord? Because today I want to give you an opportunity to make him your Lord. And that, you could be a Christian, you could have grown up at church like 20 years. It's right. And then the second altar call is maybe you, your faith has never been questioned. You always believe Jesus Christ is Lord. You're, that's the way you've lived. But the Holy Spirit is right now convicting you to get fit. And you know you've had your faith, but you're not really expending the kind of energy, the kind of exercise that you know you will need if you're going to go the long distance of what your faith will require. Today, I want to invite you to make a commitment to get fit, to grow your faith. All right? 
So while all eyes are closed, I'm going to pray for those. First, I'm going to pray for those who want to accept Christ as Lord. It's all eyes closed. Father, I pray for each person here right now. They don't know you the way you intended, Lord. And I pray, Lord God, that you would hear their cry right now as they seek you, as they knock on that door. Father God, I pray that that today, this week, this month, that you would reveal yourself to them, that you would call out to them in unmistakable ways. And I pray, Lord God, that you would lead and guide them to people who can help them, that that you would bring about the, that you would bring about the environment where they can come to faith in a genuine way. I pray for each of these, Lord, and for, if for any person who has, um, I pray for every any person who genuinely, as a result of today's message, wants to make that commitment to God. I pray, Lord God, that you would honor that, because you're. You did that with the, the, the robber and the thief who was just right next to Jesus on the cross. All he said was that Jesus would be Lord and, and, and he was saved. And so, uh, Lord, I thank you for those people who are right now even making a commitment in their heart of hearts to make you Lord. I pray, Lord God, that you would hear that and you would honor that. And then, Lord, I pray for every other person who is making an internal commitment today right now who already loves you, but wants to grow in their genuine faith. Father God, spur us on as a church. Discipline us and make us disciples. And help us as we grow in our calling. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord.